the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. On AM fourteen twenty, the answer. If we look to the answer as to why, for so many years, we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes. They just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, They will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. The Bob Brand O'Clock on AM 1420. The answer. Thanks again to former Congressman Jim Renacy. Make sure you check out his new book. I think it's a, I think it's a good read. I think it's an important read. The GOP's Lost Decade and Inside View of Why Washington Does Not Work. Uh, I want to pivot now. Uh, our good friend Peter Kersenow, who of course is a host of the Kersenow Report on AM 1420. The answer. He is a, an attorney working in Cleveland. He is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is a best-selling author and he is is our official countdown spokesman to the uh, start of the Super Bowl, right? Is that where we're going with now? We're going Super Bowl, Pete? <laughs> I mean, well, you know, I'm just going to go with, I'm going to be a little bit more restrained, just going to start with the beginning of the season, 11 days. Okay. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of people who have irrational exuberance, maybe not irrational exuberance, but you know what? It was just a couple of years ago we were on 16, so let's take some baby steps first. I do think we're going to have a great season. I think it's going to be a winning season. I think we have a chance of taking the Central Division, maybe even going farther than that. But, you know, let's be uh, a little bit more circumspect about this. Take it one step at a time. J-Ram out for the rest of the regular season and probably the playoffs if they make it uh, done? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's, I've never heard you be that succinct on anything. I don't know that you've never ever admitted to such a thing. I don't think you. If, if you do, you're going to dance with it for a while anyway. But uh, Jose Ramirez, Jose Ramirez is uh, is having a phenomenal second half, and uh, yeah, man, that bat the, losing that bat is going to be very painful in their attempt to catch the Twins and and win the division. And but uh, you know, it was interesting to watch. You know, Puig really stepped up yesterday, as did Reyes. Uh, yeah. the two guys that we hope to depend on. I don't know if that's going to keep you. Look, losing Ramirez is huge. He may, along with Mike Trout and a few others, be the most valuable players in the second half of the season. Um, you know, they say five to seven weeks, which arguably could put him, you know, back in the lineup uh, for the playoffs. But uh, Bob, you and I have seen these things too often. I'm not holding my breath on this. 
I'm not either. I, I, I totally, you know, I, there's only so much you can overcome, by the way. Kluber, Carrasco, uh, right. you know, not, you know, and, uh, obviously, uh, Clevenger was down for a while. They traded Bauer. I mean, it, they just had guys step up, step up, step up, and they've done a great job of it, but there eventually comes a point where you just can't step up any higher than you already have. All right, Pete, let's dive into this now. I, um, as I mentioned to you, <clears throat> This morning, this is right in your wheelhouse. You're you're on the Civil Rights Commission, and this is a civil rights case, according to uh, the left, the LGBTQ mafia, as I call them. You might call them the LGBTQ agenda, whatever you, whatever you want to call these organizations uh, that are arguing for on the federal level what's called the Equality Act, on the state of Ohio level something called the Fairness Act, the Ohio Fairness Act, and they are equating it to the 1964 Civil Rights Act, suggesting that people who are LGBTQ based on their orientation or their identity or their feelings or whatever, they deserve the same types of workplace protections as people did guaranteed uh, 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 their, uh, uh, their rights by the Civil Rights Act, including those affected by race, sex, color, religion, and national origin. Those are the clearly defined classes uh, that were protected under the Civil Rights Act. Now, they're trying to add to it. What does a Civil Rights Commissioner say? Well, you know, we have been addressing this on the Civil Rights Commission, as you might imagine, for quite some time. In fact, we just issued a report where the liberal commissioners, of course, are in agreement with some of the movements in various states to redefine the either Title VII or the state correlative to Title VII. Title VII is pretty simple. Uh, and, you know, there really is no true, well, there is debate about it, but it's pretty simple. If you if you are not trying to read into Title VII things that aren't there, it's clear that it protects against, you know, it, the, the original impetus, of course, was race. And it protects against race, color, religion, national origin, four categories. Um, that's it. You know, it, it doesn't include... Uh, it does else. include now, sex, does it not? Am, it I, am I mistaken on it, sex? It does Pete? include it, it. does include sex. And, Just and meaning male and female, of course. That women can't be discriminated against for being women. Right. Now, there's been a lot of litigation about this. There have been certain states that have passed legislation that expand that definition on a state level with respect to state causes of action. Uh, you know, there are various correlative uh, uh, civil rights commissions. But that initiative hasn't passed on the federal level. And to this point, there have been a few courts that have said that sex includes uh, gender identity or uh, sexual orientation. But the masses of circuits, and, and by the way, this, this is a matter that is going to be addressed by the Supreme Court within the October term. So we should right. be getting a decision um, by next year sometime related to this. Uh, i don't want to go ahead and make any predictions about what the Supreme Court is going to do. Uh, my my belief is that uh, they will. You know, there there are a lot of things. And, and by the way, full disclosure, I've I've had amicus briefs on this in the Gloucester County case and other cases. I've had uh, issued comments to the HHS on their. Uh, proposed regs on this, so I've got uh, a little bit of skin in the game on this, but the way I look at it is almost every conservative looks at it. In 1964, Congress passed Title VII 19, of the 19 Civil Rights Act, and it had certain specific categories that we just identified as categories protected against employment-based discrimination or public accommodation discrimination. By the way, public accommodation discrimination, that's, that's key, because that's also part of the same statute, 42 U.S.C. 2000A, 
the Title VII, which is employment discrimination, without boring your audience, is 42 U.S.C. 2000E. And under the public accommodation section, there are only four categories that are listed in terms of prohibitions against discrimination in public accommodations. They didn't include sex because the understanding there was that, well, you know, there are reasons why you may discriminate because of bathrooms, locker rooms, and things of that nature. And that goes to, that, that really does tell you a little bit about what the legislature sees as protected classes under the nation's civil rights laws. What the EEOC has done, and they do this very cleverly, and as has have many federal agencies whenever there's a Democratic administration, is when they can't get Congress or any states to pass legislation to their liking, what they do instead is the various agencies charged with enforcing those statutes will issue a guidance or an interpretation of the statute that expands it well beyond what the legislature had intended. For an example, the Obama administration did this constantly, and we, by we, I mean some of us conservatives who, you know, are involved in the debates and, you know, we file amicus briefs or, you know, we're involved in testimony before Congress on this. We try to push back on this, but it's like putting a finger in a, you know, dike that's exploding all over the place. It's very, very difficult to do. But what they do is this, Bob, for your audience, and it's very clever, and this is why you're saying, how is this all expanding like this? Well, they do it very cleverly. What they'll do is, when they've got control of the EEOC, they will issue a guidance or an interpretation of Title VII that expands beyond sex to include gender identity, okay? Clearly, gender identity is not in Title VII. In 1964, no one gave any thought to that whatsoever when the act was passed, but they include this interpretation. This is how the EEOC interprets it. Then what happens is a court will defer to that interpretation. In other words, they'll accept it because there are a couple of Supreme Court cases that are kind of pernicious. One is our versus, that's A-U-E-R versus Robbins. It's called our deference. And what our deference is, is a court will yield to an agency determination of its own regulations. So if what they do, it's a, it's a continuous feedback loop. When the EEOC or any other agency is populated by progressives, they will expand the definition of the statute far beyond what the legislature had intended, far beyond the plain meaning of the statute. And then when it's litigated, when we idiot conservatives say, wait a minute, that's not what the statute says, and file a lawsuit, then what happens is the court will say, well, this agency is charged with promulgating regulations related to the statute, so we must defer to that agency. That's a very controversial doctrine that's being scrutinized right now, and I, I, the Supreme Court will be addressing it um, probably as soon as this next term. And then it's compounded by the Chevron doctrine, and I won't go into that. But the bottom line here is what liberals have done to expand um, these uh, discrimination laws far beyond what the plain meaning of the statute says is to issue these guidances or interpretations which courts will then defer to and then lo and behold you've got an expanded enforcement regime for that protected class in this case for example um, you, you've got you know Harris 
Funeral Homes versus EEOC is currently before the Supreme Court. It may expand it to transgender identity. It could be all kinds of things that were never explicitly set forth in the statute and never intended at the time it was passed. Peter Kersenow is our guest on uh, AM 1420, The Answer, speaking a lot as a civil rights uh, commissioner today because of uh, this particular Ohio Fairness Act, the Equality Act, which, Pete, you know, very briefly here, fundamentally, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 did not take away others, in other words, did not take away the majority's rights by granting civil rights to minority-protected classes, such as race and sex and national origin and everything else. In the LGBTQ case, or in any of these cases, it does. Granting them the same quote-unquote civil rights that they seek would by definition, remove the rights of the majority of everybody else who is not. If you if you grant them their rights, for example, to use the facilities of their choice, uh, people who do not want to see that, if you will, um, lose their rights to privacy. Uh, same thing goes with, with so many of the other things that they're trying to impose upon uh, employers, upon schools, upon teachers, with the you know reference to the way they refer to people, uh, uh, pronouns, and all these other things. People have to change their way of life, in other words, surrender some of their own rights, in order to grant these rights that they're that are being demanded by the Equality Act on the federal level, and of course this Fairness Act, you know our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom are fighting this on a number of levels. It not only impinges upon the rights of others; it provides an expanded set of rights that the rest of us don't have, because you've got the ability, you know, in in say the transgender case of pretty much deciding what bathroom you're going to use, whereas you and I, Bob, can't decide that. Okay? Right. So there's, there's this expansion of rights, as you've just indicated. Um, there's a host of other problems with respect to that. First of all, there's the rule of law problem, as I indicated. When you start expanding a statute beyond the plain meaning of the statute and what Congress had intended. If you are interested in fidelity to the rule of law, which is the linchpin to our, uh, frankly, our freedom and democracy in this, in this country, then you've got to adhere to the plain meaning. A lot, if the legislature decides, you know, the will of the people dictates that we expand the definition, so be it. That's the rule of law. You may agree or disagree. You've got the ability to engage in a public debate about it. You know, you can, you can weigh in on these kinds of things, but when by a simple edict you've got you know, these unelected bureaucrats who decide to interpret things a certain way, and then you get an imprimatur from a judge who says, who happens to agree with that, that is not the democratic process that the Founding Fathers had envisioned. But among other things um, with respect to this, in addition to being contrary to the plain meaning of the statute, there are a host of other issues that arise out of this that can complicate all manner of things, and we probably don't have time to go into all of them, but simply from the standpoint of the rule of law. The 1964 Civil Rights Act was to address what's known as invidious discrimination. It didn't prohibit all discrimination. In other words, the legislators understood that there were certain types of discrimination that, because of common sense, were merited. For example, you know, the bathroom issue, that men couldn't use female bathrooms and vice versa, all right? Uh, it's not invidious to say you are confined to a certain bathroom. 
So there's only certain types of discrimination that are prohibited. Now, because we have an educational system in this country and the public discourse in this country has been so polluted, you know, we don't even think about those kinds of things. The, the, the understanding is that all forms of discrimination, well, you know, discrimination that is not invidious is something that is, makes sense. Any intelligent person discriminates thousands of times a day, decides to make distinctions. You've got to do these kinds of things. It's the invidious kind of a discrimination that we seek to prohibit. So there's a reason why, for example, you don't want a 44-year-old male to be sharing a bathroom with your 14-year-old daughter. Right. Okay? Now, he may identify as female, but there are certain distinctions that we make. Now, if as a society we reach a point at a certain point where we say, okay, we're not going to, because of culture or whatever, the culture has shifted in such a radical direction that now we're not going to be concerned about those types of distinctions, so be it. But when this is imposed, literally imposed, because it's not in the statute, it's not anywhere in the understanding of the people who have passed the statutes, when we impose this on the public without the public having approved of it or with uh, public discourse having caught up to it in any sense or, or put an imprimatur on it, that is a just uh, a radical derogation of the rule of law. It's something that upends the culture. It's one of these things where this is why we're engaged in these culture wars. What's, what's interesting to me is... Pete. Pete, I'm going to have to interrupt you here because we're way past, uh, and I know you got a lot more to say there. So it's 1024. Let me get a quick time out. We'll come back with Peter Kirsten right after this. It's the Bob France Authority here on AM 1420. The answer. All right, I've only got three minutes left for Peter Kersenow. Uh Pete has got a jet here at uh, 1030, so I'm just going to let him finish his thoughts on what we've been discussing uh, with respect to um, uh, uh, the uh, Fairness Act, the Ohio Fairness Act, as it's called. The uh, Attorney General of the State of Ohio, Pete, of course, Dave Yost, is joining uh, 15 other states in uh, essentially saying that, no, we do not agree that LBGTQQ uh, civil rights uh, are equal to those of the protected classes in the 1964 Civil Rights act and if you try to make it so it discriminates against everybody who is not part of that group so go right ahead yeah well and that's exactly the point um the there are groups that are saying well you know uh, yost should sign on to uh the expansion of the definition and at the same time the same groups are introducing bills to expand the definition and that's you know, a contradictory position, quite frankly, because it's an acknowledgement if you're introducing a bill that you can't simply expand the definition through some type of court, expanded court definition, that the current state of the law doesn't permit for that at this particular point. Now, if you can get a majority of the population to agree with this expansion and can get the legislature to pass it, that's one thing. In a democratic republic, that's what we do. We agree and disagree on a whole host of things, and a lot of us don't like things that are passed, and some, some of us you know, like certain things that are passed, but that's the way a democracy, a democratic republic works. But simply doing it by fiat or doing it by some type of you know, regulatory ledger domain, as we have been seeing for the last 30 years, again, I can't stress enough this process by which these bureaucratic agencies, 95% of them are staffed by people who are sympathetic to the left, and they will issue these interpretations and guidances, and then the courts, because they apply these our and Chevron doctrines, simply give it the imprimatur without the legislature, meaning the people, ever 
having to weigh in on it. And the left agenda marches forward, and, you know, there's nothing to restrain it. So people need to be very, very careful and, and uh, scrutinize what is going on at the regulatory agencies, because the definitions, the expansions that are occurring are extraordinary. And for those of us who have ordinary lives, you know, we take kids to baseball games and, you know, we've got uh, water the lawn, all kinds of things like that. Mm-hmm. We don't have the time to be vigilant and watch these things. And so the, the one thing that I would urge the listeners to do is call your representatives and tell them to, to monitor these kinds of things and to restrain these regulatory agencies or issue, you know, legislation that clarifies things. But, uh, Bob, we're being taken to the cleaners on all these things because we aren't sufficiently vigilant about what the left is up to. They invest a considerable amount of resources in doing these kinds of things, and we only have a few people in a broom closet who are, who are watching out for these things. Well, you know what, Pete, that you're so right. We have to inform our legislators, tell them what we feel, tell them what we want to see done. But we also need to join groups so that we are more than just a few people in a small broom closet. There are groups that are out there like the Ohio Values Voters or Value yeah. Voters, uh, which is one of the organizations that was trumpeting Dave Yost's uh, decision today, as well as, you know, Tom Z. You know Tom Z very well in the Ohio people or Ohio, uh, um, uh, uh, for crying out loud, why am I? we the People's Convention, excuse me, we the People's right. Convention, and we the People's Convention.org. There are organizations we can join to be a little bit more vocal, to be a little bit more, you know, uh, bigger numbers, obviously, have a little bit more power when we make our uh, uh, feelings known to our representatives and legislators and so on. So there are groups that we can do, and I really want to thank them for all of their work, the work they're doing in bringing these things up so that we can, of course, uh, you know, be as impactful as we can. And always, Pete, you are a big part of that as well. So thank you so much, my friend. Thanks very much, Bob. Talk to you next week, Peter. Peter Kirsten, now on AM 1420, The Answer. News time now. Your calls to follow. The Bob France Authority back after this. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. My head is uh, still spinning from uh, <laughs> all of the legal knowledge that Peter Kirsten I've just dropped on top of it. I don't know that I processed all of it yet. I'm going to have to go back and re-listen and look some stuff up while he's talking about various statutes, but I really appreciate that as always. Peter is uh, is just uh, one of the most brilliant people working. And he's working for us. That's the best part about it. He's working for us, both us as Americans uh, on the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights and us and our side as well. All right, uh, final uh, 20. Two minutes of the broadcast are yours at uh, 216-901-0945 or triple eight two eight one eleven ten. With the exception of this, I have to share this with you, and I wish I didn't. First of all, there's a very, very funny meme going around right now. It's a real video. It's just cut into meme length. You know, it's like three seconds long of Bernie Sanders trying to work a speed bag. Okay. He's he's literally just trying to punch a speed speed bag. You know the boxers work on. That didn't help you, did it? Um, he punches it and it bounces right back and hits him in the face. And the uh, the caption, the best caption that I have seen thus far, I stole and put it on my own Facebook feed, which you can find at France Radio uh, on Twitter or Facebook, is rare footage of Bernie the Socialist Sanders trying to defeat capitalism, and capitalism smacked him in the face. That's my backdrop for this audio clip that I want you to hear right now. Bernie Sanders is is now laying it all bare for the world to see. 
Bernie Sanders is praising the job that the government of China, Red China, Chicoms, Communist China, has done in addressing income inequality. Let me say this again. Bernie Sanders, asked by a reporter about his view of China today, China, a communist nation, they're doing a better job at addressing inequality, extreme inequality, says Bernie Sanders, than capitalist America. You have to hear this audio clip to believe it. What is your view of China today? Do you believe China represents an existential threat to the American worker? I wouldn't use the word existential threat. You know, I think China uh, is a country that is moving, unfortunately, in a more authoritarian way in a number of directions. Uh, We would have hoped that they would move toward a democratic, more democratic form of government and moving in the opposite direction. Um... And they are a country that vigorously protects their own interests. But what we have to say about China, in fairness to China and its leadership, is if I'm not mistaken, they have made more progress in addressing extreme poverty than any country in the history of civilization. Okay, so they've done a lot of things for their people. Uh, their economy now is struggling. Uh, but I, I could just stop it there and just, and just let us all be slack-jawed for a few moments. The co-leader, according to the most recent polls, along with Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders is the co-leader of the pack of of Democrat candidates for president. The co-leader for the nomination of the Democrat Party is praising the communist economy of China, praising the communist government of China, for addressing extreme poverty and doing a lot of things for their people. Now, I and many others that you probably listen to have explained, there's a great Prager University video of it, explaining the difference between socialism and what AOC and Bernie Sanders like to call their version, which is uh, democratic socialism. They want you to believe there's a difference. There isn't. Socialism is socialism. And guess what else? Socialism is communism. It's the next step. Bernie is now laying it all bare to see. He's not just socialist. He's full-on communist. I think it is absolutely possible for us to have a positive working relationship with China. What I said back then and what I believed is that the function of permanent normal trade relations with China was pretty obvious to me. It is a legislation, trade agreement written by large, profitable corporations who wanted cheap labor in China. So what they wanted was a trade agreement which made it easier for them to shut down in this country and then hire people in China back then for 50 cents an hour, a dollar an hour. Wages have gone up there a bit. But clearly much lower wages, much lower wages than in the United States. That was what that trade agreement was about, and it has cost us many millions of jobs, as has NAFTA. So what I said then and what I say now is trade is extremely important, but you cannot have unfettered free trade written by large corporations and their CEOs. You need trade agreements that are designed to work for working families, for family-based agriculture, 
not just for the owners of profitable corporations. And by the way, um, family-based agriculture families are still strongly supporting the President of the United States. And this trade battle, if you want to call it a trade war, that's fine. It is. Trade war with China. They continue to support the President and his goal of winning this trade war and and uh, and getting rid of that incredibly unfair, disproportionate trade imbalance that we suffer with China. But the most important part of that clip from Bernie Sanders is his acknowledgement that he believes that red China is doing more for their people than any other nation on earth. He literally said that. I'm going to quote it again. They've made more progress in addressing extreme poverty than any other country in the history of civilization. They've done a lot of things for their people. This is what they are. Look, friends, this is who the Democrats want to be president. If he's the nominee, and right now, he along with Elizabeth Warren, who is also a socialist, maybe not to the degree that Sanders is, but they are leading the pack right now. And if Donald Trump does not win the presidential election, this is who will be running the country. Someone who praises a communist government as doing good things for its people. A communist government that has addressed extreme poverty more than any country in the history of civilization. He's praising the communist model. Take more from the people. Take more from those who have. Collect it. They are collectivists. Put it in the control of the government to be dispersed to the impoverished as needed. I mean, we all we don't need a basic economic history lesson of what what you know communist models, uh, uh, economic models look like and how they have worked throughout history, socialist models, and how they have worked throughout history, Marxism. We don't need to go back and re-explain all of those things, do we? He is praising the communist model, saying it has worked better than the capitalist model here in the United States. The United States, where people are, are crossing the globe to get into, the United States of America and its capitalist nation, its capitalist model, its freedom and its liberty to earn, to learn, to grow, to thrive. Opportunities here better than anywhere in the world. That's why people are coming from all over the globe. They are traversing the continents, getting from point A to point B, eventually trying to get at least down to the triangle of Central American countries where they can then migrate through north through, uh, through Mexico to get to the United States. Why are they all trying to get here when it's China that has done more to address extreme poverty than any country in the history of civilization? I wonder when a reporter is going to ask Bernie Sanders that question. Why aren't more migrants around the world trying to find their way to red China? That's where things get done. Quote, they've done a lot of things for their people. I want to know why people would be trying to come to this capitalist hellhole called the United States. 
Why are minorities? They're coming from African nations. They're coming from Middle Eastern nations. They're coming from Latin American nations, from Central American nations, from Spanish-speaking countries. They're coming, minorities, ethnic minorities are coming from all over the world to come to this weird, racist, remember Joe Biden said we are an institutionally racist country. They're coming here to be victimized by racism. They're coming here to be victimized by capitalism. And Bernie Sanders says China's doing it better. That could be the future of the United States of America if we do not support and help Donald Trump win re-election. Final segment coming up. We'll be right back. Bob France, here on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 1051, final segment of this morning's Bob France Authority. Really great conversations today with um, former Congressman Jim Renacci and with uh, Peter Kersenow. Uh, always appreciate their uh, weighing in. Tomorrow we have Dr. Everett Piper on the program. I want to use this opportunity before we go to the phone calls here uh, to remind you about the War for America's Soul. That's what the tour is called. It's November 21st. It comes to Cleveland, more specifically to the Holiday and Rockside uh, in Independence, where Hugh Hewitt, Dr. Sebastian Gorka and I, along with Peter Kersenow, will be uh, on a panel discussing just that, the War for America's Soul, the March Toward Socialism that I just described to you. Bernie Sanders praising communist China is going to be your next president if you don't support Donald Trump. Um, and if it isn't him, him, it'll be another socialist like Liz Warren or Kamala Harris. Anyway, restricted free speech and religious rights, racial tensions, uh, racism in America, the race card, race baiting, continuing, lack of policing, uh, opportunities uh, uh, diminishing for so many in America as the uh, quote-unquote equality law is pushed. I mean, all of these things are going to be addressed at the War for America's Soul. It really, really is just that. And uh, we want you to be a part of it. Tickets are available now. General admission tickets, VIP dinner tickets, and VIP table dinner tickets as well. If you want to sit at the table with myself or Dr. Gorka or with Hugh Hewitt, all of the tickets are available now at whkradio.com, whkradio.com. Click the banner at the top of the page, and you cannot miss it. Tim is calling us from Chesterland on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Tim. Go ahead. Good morning, Bob. Good Um, morning. You made reference to the fact that uh, in your previous conversation that uh, democracy is communism, and I wholeheartedly agree it is. And uh, that brings us to the fact that in Article 4, Section 4 of our U.S. Constitution, and I'm surprised that Peter Kirstenoff hasn't uh, made reference to this, but it says very clearly that, that every state is guaranteed in this union a Republican form of government and shall be protected, each of them, against invasion. That's what our government is supposed to be, and we're allowing it to be disintegrated right before our eyes. And also, when you consider this democracy, um, which is mob rule, it's 
actually that's what it's described as is mob rule. Look at at the, uh, the the black organization that comes up behind people with hammers and baseball bats and beats them on the head uh, to, for serious serious injury. You talk about I'm, Antifa, I'm, the black yeah the black clad yeah, organization right. yeah. They yeah, keep black masks clothing. on their face so that they can't be identified. I don't understand why our FBI hasn't gone going after that that organization. They need well, they may. President Trump, President Trump is pushing to have them designated as a domestic terror organization, uh, which well, they should be so. because of the violence that they do commit. Uh, and they are always the instigators of that violence every time we cease any of these conflicting rallies or protests or whatever with the idiot white nationalists, the idiot white supremacists uh, coming in uh, and then being uh, uh, confronted by the idiot Antifa organizers. They're the ones who show up armed uh, with clubs. And as you pointed out, they're throwing... Um, concrete cocktails on people and everything else. They are. They're very. Da- it's a couple of very hateful groups, but one of them is a more violent hateful group, which is just uh, horrific when you think about it. There's very few that are worse, um, you know, than than white supremacists and KKK or uh, uh, neo-Nazi groups and these sorts of things. But you know, it, 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 Antifa is is no better. They are they're they absolutely are a domestic terrorist organization, and I think the president is going to get that declaration done. To your point, though, about democracy being mob rule, I think that's a little bit extreme. And I never said, uh, I think you misquoted me when you said that I said democracy is communism. Did not say that. Uh, our system of government is based on democratic principles in that we all get to vote. That's democracy. But we vote for representatives who go and cast votes and make decisions for us at the governmental level. This is a representative republic. Uh, we are not a pure democracy. Now, democracy, of course, does have its failings, which we have discussed in the past. Everybody knows. You know, democracy is two wolves and a sheep all getting one vote on uh, what's for dinner. Uh, two to one, democracy is going to win, and uh, the one is, is in some serious trouble right now. Um, but it is not communism. We are based on democratic principles in our constitutional republic. Uh, it is not communism. Communism, the people have no say. They have no vote whatsoever. Uh, John is in chart next on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, John, go ahead. Hi, Bob. Uh, point of clarification. Last week when you talked to Governor DeWine, I was yeah. disappointed you didn't touch base with him on the uh, whys and wherefores of that uh, 10 cents a gallon uh, gas tax increase. That he recently, yeah, I was disappointed I didn't do that either, but I also knew that I was going to be really, really tight for time to get all of the things I wanted to discuss with him, and you saw how it was. Yeah, it came right up on 11 o'clock pretty fast. That I mean, that's a five-hour conversation, and I had to try to get all of that done in around 11 minutes, so I just didn't get a chance okay. to ask him about the gas tax. You still there, John? Sounds like you got another phone ringing, my friend. I'm going to let you loose there. Go ahead and answer that one. <laughs> That's okay. We all uh, that happens to all of us from time to time. That yeah, I would have loved to have asked about the gas tax. I would love to ask him about the job creation in the state of Ohio that Jim Renacci and I talked about an hour ago. Um, and Jim Renacci is right. You know, you talk about 5,400 jobs being created. That should be for a good Ohio city, not for the entire state. So yeah, we are stagnating a little bit. And I'm not suggesting it's all Mike DeWine's fault, but there are some things that need to be done. There are some prescriptions that are called for here to improve our economic standing right now. 
and our wages. And yes, I think the government, the governor is on the wrong track when it comes to these red flag laws. So yeah, I would like to have asked him about all of those things, but obviously was not going to have the, uh, uh, the opportunity to in about an 11 or 12 minute conversation. So we'll do the best we can to get him back on and talk about it some more. Um, I, I also want, and I'm going to tweet this out again for you, the clip that I just played of Bernie Sanders. And I want you to share this. If you can, on your own social media uh, pages and through your own social circles, maybe email it to folks if you want. But I'm going to send you the link to what I just played for you. Bernie Sanders, the front runner now, along with Elizabeth Warren, they have both passed Joe Biden slightly, 20% to 19% in the Democrat uh, race. Uh, Bernie Sanders praising communist China as doing more for impoverished people than any other nation in the history of the world and as uh, uh, doing more to address income inequality, praising the collectivist mindset that is, you know, communism, not giving people freedom, not giving people the right to keep their own money to earn and to grow and to to thrive uh, because the government is going to have to take some of what they make. In fact, a lot of what they make to distribute it to those who are impoverished, as you heard him praising. This is the man that could be and would be the next president of the United States if we let the Democrats have their way. And if we don't do everything we can to support Donald Trump. With all of Donald Trump's flaws and warts, and he's got a lot of them, and today I think he stepped in it again on Twitter. And I tweeted about it. Follow me at France Radio on Twitter and you'll see for yourself. Have yourself a great day. Mike Gallagher's next. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.